Please rise. Court is now in session. All rise. All rise. I strenuously object. A legal podcast brought to you by the Pittsburgh Law Firm of Flaherty Fardo is now in session. All those seeking information about the law and legal matters affecting the people of Pittsburgh and the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, half-baked opinions, and a dose of self-indulgence are invited to attend and participate. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! I object, Your Honor. Your Honor, I object. You would! Listen, we don't know you. We don't know who you are. We don't know what you do. So please do not rely on anything we say as legal advice. I'm Noah Fardo, presiding. My wingman, attorney Bill Rigel. And all we're trying to do is bring a little irreverence. That's just what this stubby company needs. A little irreverence. Well, let's start the insanity. Call the first witness. Hi, it's Mike the Podcast Producer here. I just want to mention something before we begin this episode. A little later in the podcast, the guys bring on a great guest, their partner, a seasoned tax appeal expert, Nicole Amick. As you'll see, no one knows the tax appeal system like Nicole. But I think it's important to know that Nicole was born and raised in Buffalo, New York, and is a big football fan. I'll just leave it at that. It should help explain why Bill Rogel brutally blindsides her out of nowhere during her segment. So stay tuned for that and enjoy the podcast. Hey, good morning, Bill. Hello, how are you today? You know, I'm excited. I'm in a good mood. I think we get to help people today. That's good. I'm excited for it. Listen, I'm sitting here looking at seven coffee mugs on the table here in front of me. I have done some some bad things in my life it appears to have reached this particular point but one of the one of the good things i'm about to do in my life is take part in this podcast which is going to help some people save some money show me the money well yeah i think this and and tell me if you disagree i think this will be the greatest single episode of a podcast on how people can lower their property taxes in allegheny county that has ever been created and which may ever be created that's a possibility Yeah, sure. I mean, if you add enough limiting words in there, this becomes an absolutely true statement. It is the best one that we have ever done, uh, at least since the last one and until the next. Yep. All right. And we're very good at patting ourselves on the back. So let's talk about why people should be listening to this today. We called it tax appeals for dummies. I mean, but it's not for dummies. It's for anybody who wants to lower their property taxes. Agreed? Agreed. I, look, I don't know how dated that reference is anymore, right? You know, there was that whole spate of Four Dummies books that, uh, you know, like kind of mid to late 90s, maybe into the early 2000s. They may still publish. They may still be everywhere. People also may just not read books anymore. I don't know. Um, but rest assured, dear listener, um, we're not calling you dummies. I can handle things. I'm smart. Not like everybody says. at least beyond the way in which the authors of the much more famous than us book series once upon a time called you dummies. Well, they were easy to read. We're going to make this easy to listen to. And let's tell listeners first, what can they expect from a general outline to learn or understand today, Bill? Well, yeah, I mean, I think they're going to learn what a property assessment is and how it relates to their taxes. They're going to learn about the procedures, the uh, one entity called BPAR that holds hearings and another entity called the BOV that holds hearings and, and what those entities are and what happens at those hearings. Um, and then eventually we're going to get around in addition to going through the procedure, just some helpful 
uh, what is it, hints and tips um, for how it is that uh, they can save some money in these hearings. Yeah, it is hints and tips, and I call it the secrets to winning your tax appeal. Also, at the end, we're going to talk about some pretty breaking news in the tax assessment world that is changing the, the landscape of the current tax appeals and may change the entire, blow up the entire system. Um, I'm also very excited to have our partner and our friend, and who I would call one of the leading experts in the entire arena of tax appeals, and that's Nicole Amick. You know, she she's she's the queen of tax appeals. Um, I'm I'm comfortable ascribing that title to her, even if uh, even if she's mortified by it. You know, the most the biggest thing I'm impressed with Nicole when she helps these because we've both done hundreds of these, thousands of these. We've spent a lot of time talking to people, but it's her patience in taking one case at a time, looking at that case, researching it the right way, spending the time talking to the owner. I mean, it's an amazing job that she does and she has great insight. She's when there's seminars about tax appeals. Now they call Nicole when there's presentations that need to be done. It's Nicole giving them. So she's, she's really built a great reputation and I think she's going to help people with all that being said, let's get us out of the way and uh, get Nicole on. Ladies and gentlemen, our friend, our partner, and one of the leading experts in all of tax appeals in Allegheny County, Miss Nicole Amick. Good morning, guys. All right, Nicole. Quite an introduction, the queen of tax appeals. I've never heard that one before. Uh, get used to it. You're going to be wearing that a while. Oh, boy. Okay. Nicole, before we move into the, to the nuts and bolts of our, of our podcast today, having recently apparently ascended to the throne of queen, can you tell us how it is in terms of your history and your background, you got involved in property tax appeals? So I started working at Flaherty Fardo as it was in 2009, which is like 400 years ago. And I worked mainly for NOAA at that time. And my first week at the job, so I was a 1L in law school, I was 23 years old. Noah sent me to my first property appeal hearings. So that was how I got started in property appeals. And I just kind of, I don't know, I took to it for some reason. It's saving people money, you know, and it's something that means a lot to people. So it's an easy thing, especially when people feel a lot of gratitude and you know that you're making a difference to someone to, to be passionate about it. But my first week, I had only lived in Pittsburgh for, I don't know, eight months. And Noah said, go downtown to this hearing go downtown to this building, park at this garage. I have no idea where I'm going. I have probably been downtown Pittsburgh three times. I had a GPS, like a Garmin actual physical GPS at the time, which doesn't work downtown because there's tall buildings that at the time it just wouldn't work. So I'm just driving aimlessly around downtown. I don't know where I'm going. I called my mom. I was almost in tears because I, I'm thinking, I'm not prepared to go to a hearing. Like I don't, I'm not a lawyer yet, you know? And I did my first BPAR hearing, which went fine. Uh, went better than I was thinking it would. And that was kind of the start of where we are now. Hey, Mike, it's Mike, the podcast producer. So Noah threw you into the deep end your first day. How did you feel about yeah, that? Listen, I am strenuously objecting to this entire story as though I sent an ill-prepared first year law student for a tax appeal hearing because that's not factually accurate, but sure, feel free to explore. It, it is accurate. Um, I wouldn't say I was ill-prepared. I think you know, not to pat myself on the back, but Noah perhaps just thought I was capable of doing it. And certainly I think I handled myself fine. It was just, you know, the first like work 
lawyer thing I was doing. It was just a very um, scary moment that ended up obviously being fine. I would just add to that that Nicole was highly confident, or at least faked it till she made it, and the <laughs> evidence was extremely organized and well-prepared. All right, Your Highness, enough about all that. Let's dive into the substance here. I want to start with the basics. What's your impression on people's understanding of the tax appeal process in general? You speak to a lot of property owners. I think a lot of people are confused about it, not 100% clear on it. The general consensus is Allegheny County has very high property taxes in general. So when you have people relocating here, buying a new house, whatever the case is, they're already surprised by how high the property taxes are. And then they usually receive an appeal after that, trying to increase them further. So there's definitely some fear, some confusion about the process generally. And can you help explain the process in the simplest of terms? If I'm getting appealed this year, like so many people are, what is the first step? You get a notification from the school district that you've been appealed? So the school district um, will send you notification that you've been appealed. This year, the county also started sending their own correspondence directly to property owners, saying that an appeal had been filed with the county. So some people were getting that first, which didn't, doesn't give you any information. It just says an appeal has been filed to challenge your assessment. Um, so one of those two documents are sent to you. Both of those are sent to you. Um, again, I'm not sure which one you would receive first, but that's your first notification that something has happened. Now, that's just a general form letter. That's no information. That's not any evidence. It doesn't tell you this is the value we're arguing for. It just says we're trying to increase your property taxes. And, and that notice, does that tell you when your hearing is or what the next step is? Nope. It, again, it's just like a super simple form letter that says an appeal has been filed. You'll hear from us later type of thing. So a lot of the confusion relating to the process starts there. Uh, just saying, you know, what is this? What does this mean? What are they trying to do? When, when is the next thing going to happen? There's a lot of questions that result from that correspondence. And what is the next step? So the next step would procedurally be a BPAR hearing, which BPAR is the first level of the assessment appeal process. A BPAR hearing is scheduled sometime this year between April and August, what they're saying. Now, some of the recent developments might shake up how this whole system works, but as of right now, you know, that's what they have been saying right now. So the next correspondence you would receive officially from the county would be a hearing notice saying this is the date and time of your hearing. And again, that's a, just a one page document. There's no other information on that. Just again, saying this is when your hearing will happen. BPAR hearings are now being conducted by phone, which was a change because of COVID that they're keeping because it just seems to work better. Um, and then property owners and all parties have to submit any evidence for that hearing at least 10 days prior. You've used this term BPAR a couple times. What's BPAR? BPAR is an acronym for Board of Property Assessment Appeals and Review. So B-P-A-A-R. And that, again, is the first level of the appeals process. The BPAR board is the body that issues decisions at that first level of the appeals process. Does the property owner have to send their evidence to the school district? No. So they submit it just to the Board of Property Assessment or the BPAR. Does the school district have to send the property owner their evidence in advance? The taxing bodies do have to send out their evidence in advance. I believe the rules, they have to be postmarked to the property owner 10 days before the hearing. One of the problems of that is that you 
sometimes just receive that the day or two before the hearing. You can't really uh, directly submit any evidence to counter their argument because you don't have it far enough in advance. But the way that we submit evidence is directly into the portal. There's an online portal now where all evidence is located. So you can also see the school district evidence there as well. But in terms of mail notifications, even if you've retained an attorney, it is sent directly to the property owner. And again, that's usually received like a week or five days before the proceedings. Okay. So I just want to make sure we're clear. We're talking a little bit about evidence and we've mentioned that there's a hearing in front of BPAR, but you said these hearings are by phone now. So when you get your notice of the hearing, does it give you a date? Does it give you a time? Does it give you information on a phone number to call or how to submit evidence or anything like that? There is an instruction sheet. So I misspoke. <clears throat> this is a, again, a newer thing because of COVID, but when you receive the hearing notice, there is an instruction sheet that's included with that as well. So it tells you, again, the 10-day evidence rule. It tells you where that can be sent, the evidence. And it also tells you if you do intend to proceed in this hearing, you have to provide a number to the Office of Property Assessment so they know who to call. And if you don't do that, then they don't call anyone. They just call the school district and proceed with the hearing without you. Now, when you retain an attorney, so for example, when we are retained, we file what is called an authorized representative form directly with the county so they know I'm calling Nicole Amick for this hearing, not the property owner, because she's their attorney and she's representing them in this proceeding. So that's procedurally how that works. But yes, that does say a date and a time. And again, they will call you on the date and time of your hearing. Take us through the hearing and what happens after the hearing and whether there's any deadlines or timelines associated with that. So at the time of the hearing, it's a little different than what people think of as like a legal hearing. There's no negotiating between the parties. There is no conversation back and forth, no compromise. They actually do not allow you to do that. So what it is, it's a relatively simple procedure. It's the appellant, usually the school district, because they file the majority of cases. The appellant goes first and says what their opinion of value is. They then go through whatever evidence they've submitted with the hearing officer and then myself or whoever is against them at the time of the proceedings can ask them any questions, any comments on their evidence. And then the other party is given the chance to go through their evidence, give their opinion of value, again, go through whatever they've submitted as evidence for the case. We then have to answer any questions or comments from the school district solicitor. And that's really it. There's again, no compromise or anything like that that's discussed here. It's really just both sides presenting their evidence to the hearing officer and the hearing officer then takes all that evidence. There's no decision that's made at the time of the hearing. Uh, I try to be very clear with people because people will call me and say, what happened? You know, what's the decision? There's no decision that's actually made at that hearing. So rather after the hearing, we are waiting to receive a disposition by mail. The hearing officer takes all that information that was provided by both parties and they make a recommendation to the BPAR board, what we were talking about before. That board then issues a decision directly to the property owner and their representative two to four months after the hearing, sometimes longer. So it's a, a process that takes a while. But again, there's nothing else that happens in that meantime. You're just waiting to receive that decision. And when you receive that decision, that's, again, just one piece of paper showing this is what's happened. So it will show the previous value and then it will show your new value. 
that sometimes will be the same if it's sustained or go up or down, depending on what that decision is. Okay. I, I'd like to pause for a minute. You had mentioned submitting evidence and both sides are likely to submit evidence in one of these appeals at the BPAR level. What sorts of things are evidence? What, what should a property owner be providing uh, at these hearings as evidence? So in most cases that are school district filed cases, they're looking at a current market value argument. So the way that I argue those specific type of cases, and that's the majority of cases that are filed and that we handle, I'm looking for number one, comparable sales that show perhaps an overpayment. That's especially true in the past couple of years with this crazy market showing, you know, this isn't really a true fair market value. Um, look at all these other properties that have sold that are very similar, et cetera. Specific information from the property owner can also be helpful as well. And that would uh, relate to specifically anything else that was included in the purchase price. Was there a seller assist? Was there a significant amount of furniture that was transferred along? Basically anything that's inflating the purchase price beyond what the actual sale of the real estate was. Anything that has come up with the property that was not disclosed to someone, or say you had a huge retaining wall behind your house and it's collapsed now. So any change in the property from when you purchase it, that would depreciate the value from the time of purchase. Um, or as I said before, anything that wasn't disclosed to you. So in Pittsburgh, a common one is a huge flood in your basement or something like that. Um, there's a million things that can come up with, with homes as a property owner, I know that. Um, but any of that information can be helpful. And then the third main thing I ask people is, do you think you overpaid for your house and why? Now that's a tricky question because especially in the past couple of years, people want to go on and on about COVID and, you know, everything else, which I totally understand, but that mostly relates to specific information. You know, were you relocating from California? You had a weekend to find a house and this is the house you got, or I talked to people during the pandemic that only viewed houses by FaceTime. And they were never actually there until they actually owned the property when they walked into it. Um, you live next to your mom. You, you know, there's a, a couple tangible reasons that I think are helpful. Um, I don't particularly think something like our family needed a bigger house is a persuasive argument because as I tell people, there's a reason you're looking to buy a house, which is true of everyone that's buying a house. So it's mostly, is there an actual reason that you think you overpaid for the property? So those yeah, are the that, questions I'm asking property owners at the beginning. Yeah, that's good too. And I, the one thing I always heard, Nicole, was when the, the, the buyers would say, well, there was, there was a bidding war and several people, we had to pay what we paid. Does that help the property owners or not? It's been more difficult the past couple of years because that happens, it seems, in almost every situation where someone's buying a house. So I mean, that's kind of the market right now. Um, that's what I think too. I don't think it helps them as much as they th pro property owners typically think it helps them. So Nicole, you used the word appellant a few times, which just means someone who files an appeal versus someone who has an appeal filed on them. Um, what's Who can file an Allegheny County property tax assessment appeal? Any interested party can file an appeal. So that means a property owner or any of the taxing bodies. Now, property owners pay three different property taxes, the county, the local or municipal and the school district. And the school district is typically one of the only taxing bodies that will typically file an appeal. And the process you talked about earlier where you receive a notice in the mail that an appeal has been filed, that's the process when the school district is appealing you. Uh, 
how is the process different if a property owner wants to file an appeal his or herself? So property owners have the same deadlines as anyone would have if they want to file an appeal, which is typically March 31st of every calendar year. Again, this year might be different based on some stuff going on, which we'll talk about later, but appeals can be filed either in person, by mail, or on the county website. I typically file them on the county website because you get an immediate response confirming that it's been received. And then you get a copy of a time-stamped form telling you that it has been filed and received. And then you actually also get a letter from the county, like I said before, just a form letter saying a 2022 appeal has been filed for your property. Even if you're the one that filed the appeal, it's the same letter. So they let you know that an appeal has been filed, even though you would already know that. And then the process is the same in terms of waiting for a hearing to be scheduled, um, like I said before, with any school district appeal. Now, how you approach the case could be a little bit different because as the appellant, if you're the one that files the appeal, you have the option of how you want to proceed with your valuation method. So the evidence is, is similar to what I was talking about before, but as the appellant, if you're filing an owner appeal, you can use either a base year argument or a current market value argument. And we didn't really talk about the base year before, which is an important thing to talk about when we're talking about assessment appeals for dummies, but the base year right now in Allegheny County is 2012. So when we're looking at the assessment on any property in the county, what that assessment is supposed to be is what was that property worth in 2012? That's the question for any appeal hearing. Now you can look at what sales in 2012 suggest as to a value, or you can look at a current market value which is what, again, the school districts are typically doing when they file appeals, and then depreciate that value back to get you to a 2012 value. Um, that's when the common level ratio comes in. And I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but. Yeah. I mean, and just for the, you know, just to make sure we understand, would you agree with me that a sale price in and of itself does not always equal market value? Market value could be higher than a sale price. It can be lower than a sale price. Agreed? Correct. And the goal of anyone, any property owner involved in a tax appeal, whether they're the appellant um, as an owner appealing or appealed by the school district, is to prove that their market value, not the sale price per se, but the market value is as low as possible. And what you said earlier is you do that by using helpful comparable sales. Is that right? Correct. Um, with an owner appeal, the, the only difference would be you can use a base year value to say the base year value, the 2012 value on this property was X. And I'm looking at 10 year old sales. I'm looking at, you know, maybe a previous sale on a property and that is the difference. So it's still focusing on sales, but it would be from a different time period because you're looking at the value basically from 10 years prior to now. So that would be a big distinction between an owner appeal and a school appeal. Two questions for you, Nicole. Uh, first, if I'm a property owner right now and I don't have an appeal pending, but I'm trying to figure out, should I file an appeal on my property? What, what should I be thinking about? What guides that decision? I would suggest listening later when we talk about some of the updates that are going on, because that's going to make a big impact on a lot of people. Um, so we'll get into that a little bit later in the show when we're talking about some stuff that's currently going on with the assessment system in Allegheny County. And my second, my second question is, um, if I am in one of these BPAR hearings, should I be looking for comparable sales and evidence that is relevant to both to the 2012 base year and the current market value? Or should I kind of pick one and do one in a given hearing? So 
It would be different if you're in an owner filed appeal or a school district filed appeal. If you're in an owner filed appeal and I represent the owner, I get to choose. So I'll pick one or the other. There's no reason to do both. I would just pick one or the other. With a school district filed appeal, again, because they're typically focusing on properties that have recently sold, they are in 99.9% of cases looking at a current market value for that property. So in order to be responsive to that argument, I am preparing sales at the BPAR hearing showing what I think a current market value would be, because again, that's what they're focusing the argument on. So I want to have something in response to that to show that perhaps that, that number is not correct. Hey, I have one question here. Have you ever seen the school district in their appeals indicate a market value that was greater than the sale price or lower than the sale price? Or do they say it 100% of the time, we think the market value is exactly what they paid? So I've seen a couple times. It's unusual for a school district to have an opinion of value in a current market value approach different from a recent sale price. The caveat being that the evidence that they provide, which the hearing officer and the board are free to review in making a decision, could potentially support a different value. And I've seen, and again, not it's not a common thing, but I have seen where assessments will change based on the evidence provided rather than just looking at the purchase price, which could potentially be higher than a purchase price. So that's not a common thing, but I have seen it happen. So if I am a property owner and someone has filed an appeal on me, the school district has appealed my taxes, theoretically, they could be seeking a value or could be awarded a value that's even higher than what I paid? They could. Now, again, you'd be depreciating that back. So if you bought your property for $100,000, now, say in 2021, they wouldn't, even if they had evidence that showed a value of 105 or 110, so slightly above what you paid, your actual assessment value wouldn't be 105 or 110. But the yes, it could potentially be a situation where your decision is above what just your purchase price would technically support. Okay. So you have this hearing in front of the hearing officer via telephone these days. Um, and no decisions issued at the end, you're waiting around for them to give you a notice of that decision from the board. Uh, How do you receive that notice from the board and what happens next? You will receive a decision by mail. As I said, two to four months, sometimes longer. And it's a one page document called a disposition. And all that it says on it is again, it's a simple page. This is the previous number from when the appeal was filed. And this is the new number. It could be the same, go up, down, whatever. Both sides have 30 days to appeal that decision. It says on the decision, this determination is final, underlined, bold. But then right after that, it says you have 30 days to file an appeal of this decision. So it's a little confusing, but you do have 30 days to file an appeal of that decision. And if you do file an appeal of that decision, or if the school appeals that decision, the case would then be pending at, at what's called the Board of Viewers, which the Board of Viewers is a division of the Court of Common Pleas in Allegheny County. The case would be given a BV docket number. So it's actually a docketed case within the Allegheny County Department of Court Records. And I'd say a majority of cases do go through both levels of the process. That's not unusual. Um, To file that appeal, you can do so online through the Department of Court Records, or I think you can do it in person, although I've never done that. It's pretty easy to file it online. There's a filing fee associated with that. It's $135.25. And again, then you would have a pending BV case number at the board of viewers where hearings take six to 12 to 18 months, sometimes longer to be scheduled at that point. Nicole, curious, 
what percentage of the school districts are winning at the first level? I mean, who is appealing to the board of viewers? Is it the school district or is it the property owners that typically have to appeal? I was just talking to another attorney who handles a lot of these cases. And he agreed with me that last year was probably um, the year that I saw the most decisions in favor of the school district that I've ever seen in doing this a long time. So I'd say in 95% of cases, even in strong cases, many strong cases, the school district would get what they were asking for. And then the property owner or us would be filing the appeal to the board of viewers. So I don't know what the breakdown is, but I'd guess that 80%, 75 to 80% of pending board of viewers cases are filed by property owners. I would think that's definitely a majority. The school district certainly files appeals say the value is sustained or it doesn't go up as much as they're seeking, they almost always will file an appeal of that decision. So it's common one way or the other. And what are the the actual property taxes owed during the appeal period? How do they calculate what those are? You are required to pay whatever your current assessment value is. So if you get a determination from the BPAR at the first level and you file an appeal that day, That does not stay you having to pay the increased taxes based on that increased value. So while an appeal is pending, you have to pay on whatever, if I look at the county website, whatever your assessment value is today, that's what you have to pay your taxes on. Whenever the case is resolved eventually, which can take multiple years, if you've overpaid your taxes based on reductions, you get a refund for what you've overpaid for any tax years that were included in the appeal. Now, similarly, If the school district has filed an appeal, say the value is sustained at the BPAR and they continue their challenge to the BOV, you'll keep paying taxes on your current value. And then whatever increases result down the road, you'll receive additional tax bills at that time. So I always say you have to pay on your current taxes, you'll get refunds or bills depending, you know, based on any changes to the assessment. But that is a problem sometimes with people that have very large increases and we're waiting multiple years for things to be scheduled. So that can certainly create some headaches. So generally speaking, if an appeal is filed in 2022, um, that appeal does not affect the years prior and any taxes that were already paid. But now the amount of taxes that I pay in 2022, as well as going forward, uh, 2023, 2024, however long passes until I get reassessed in some form or fashion, Um, those taxes are all affected by what the value is set in that appeal, correct? That's correct. Appeals are not retrospective, but the one thing I'll flag is, for example, last year, I received a lot of decisions from BPAR. So first level decisions for 2021 in December. So it's right at the end of the year, you've already paid all your taxes for the year, and then you get an increase and they're going to send you a bill for the whole 2021 year based on that increase. So just to flag that, whatever tax year has been appealed, that will impact that entire tax year, regardless of when that decision comes out. So what what matters is not when the decision occurs. What matters is when the appeal was filed. That year until you're at the end, at the disposition, all of your taxes that you pay during that time are kind of fuzzy and contingent because you may end up owing more or may end up owing less. Correct. And Nicole, you said that once they get their decision from, once they file their board of view or the second level appeal, which seems like most people can expect to have to do, and their taxes may go up pending that appeal, but how long does it take to get a second level hearing now at the board of viewers? 
Yeah. I said six to 12 to 18 months. Um, because I still have cases right now from 2020 and we're, you know, almost halfway through 2022. So during the pandemic things, of course, like everything else kind of fell apart a little bit and the courts were closed for a while and we're still getting caught up from there. I don't know when that will happen. I hope it happens soon, but it's certainly kind of a long process that was made longer by that. And if I'm successful at the board of viewers in lowering the assessment, would I get refunds for all of the years, which were under appeal? Yes. Tell me what happens at one of these board of viewers hearings. So board of viewers hearings are a more formal type of proceeding than BPAR. First of all, they're in person. They were on phone by phone for a while, but now they're back in person as of May. So we'll see if that changes depending on numbers and everything, but they're in person. Um, the school district solicitor will show up in person. There's also a solicitor from Allegheny County that attends every single board of viewers hearing. So now we have two taxing solicitors that are always going to be present against us at a board of viewers hearing. Some municipal lawyers will also attend. So you could potentially be arguing against three lawyers. And the hearings are conducted by a hearing master who acts as kind of like a mediator, I say, and ultimately a judge if we get there. But at least in the beginning, the first time something is scheduled, they call it a conciliation at the board of viewers. That's what it says on the actual notice. And basically what they're trying to do is get everyone in the same room, sit down, talk about the details of the case and see if some type of resolution can be met at that time. So this is when negotiation happens. This is when compromise happens, direct conversation between the parties. And if some value that everyone can agree to, you can at that point, resolve it, sign the paperwork and get the case resolved. Now, if that doesn't happen, what the court will do is reschedule you to keep coming back. They will try to conciliate it as much as possible, but if that's just not possible, if the parties are too far apart, what they will do is schedule you for a full hearing on value, which is akin to a trial. That's where the law and order, you know, what people think of as an actual legal proceeding, that's when that happens where you have witnesses a court reporter, things of that nature. That's not unheard of, but it's not super common, uh, but it certainly does happen in some cases. So if it goes to an actual hearing, is it the same evidence from the first level hearing? And you said witnesses, what kind of witnesses would you bring? Do you need witnesses? What's the process for the actual hearing if you can't resolve it at the second level? So the board of viewers, when you file that appeal, it's called a de novo appeal, which basically means throw everything out that happened before. And we're kind of starting over in a sense because no party is precluded to just use the evidence they had before. Both parties, any party, the county too, um, can bring in any evidence they want at that time. A lot of times school districts will obtain appraisals at the board of viewers where they typically do not do that at BPAR proceedings. They will sometimes bring their appraiser to the actual hearing, even the first time it's scheduled. Um, to, to testify or to talk about what their report says in terms of value. So if it went to a full hearing, you'd be talking about potentially appraisal reports, depending on if you've obtained one, which sometimes the court will tell you to do that. If you get to that point, you could have your appraiser talking, you could have the property owner talking, you could have, I mean, you're not really limited on who you have talked, but those would be the main two parties that you've had testifying in terms of value, because that would be the question for that hearing. What is the value of this property? Is, uh, is Steve Tasker a Hall of Famer? Yes. Okay, hold on. Seriously, though, he couldn't crack the field other than on special teams, right? Go back and watch some of those replays, Bill. Okay. Is, is, is he a Buffalo Bill? Yes. 
Well, I mean, I don't even recognize his name. So, well, you also aren't a big football fan. So, I I'm just, I'm a football fan, just not a Buffalo Bills football fan. <laughs> Let's wrap this up. Let's bring it home. What questions do you think you get asked most often about the entire process? A couple. Certainly, again, going back to where we started, people are very confused when they get this. So, there's a lot of questions that come up. One of the main questions I get is Does Allegheny County do a reassessment every 10 years? There was one in 2002. There was one in 2012. Are we going to have one this year? The answer is no. We don't have regular reassessments in this county. We don't know when the next one will be, though I hope that it's soon because we need one, but none is currently scheduled as we sit here today. So we, we don't know when we'll receive a new kind of starting over with a new base year system in Allegheny County. Um, another question is the homestead exemption. People are a little bit confused about that. That's something that you can file for if it's your primary residence in this county. That's a savings in terms of your county taxes only. That's not related to the appeal. It applies to any new value as well. But sometimes people will say, I, I held off on filing this because I didn't know, I didn't want to mess up my appeal. They're not related to each other. You can file that anytime. Um, March 1st is the deadline of any tax year for that filing. So let me transition. You said the reassessment and we haven't had one, but the big news this month, I mean, it, it is, if you live in this industry, it is big news that the, there were multiple lawsuits challenging the ratio that is being used. Um, so let's talk, let's touch base on that. Bill, have you followed that? Have you been following that lawsuit and what it could do to the entire Allegheny process? I, I mean, I've been following it. I don't, I don't know how to begin to predict with any measure of certainty what it will do other than it will throw everything into disarray. Um, but, you know, hopefully I, I know, Nicole, you uh, you had some um, some recent conversations about this. Is that right? So there was an argument on this case, the main case yesterday. This is a lawsuit that was filed by some property owners challenging the common level ratio and how that was calculated for Allegheny County. The common level ratio is. Uh, basically a value that is given to each county in the state telling you, you multiply, if you're looking at a current market value of a property, you take that value, whatever it is, and you multiply it by this, and that gets you to the base year. So in 2022, so what we're using for sales from last year, the state told us to use 81.1% to depreciate current sales back to 2012. So basically, there's only been a 20% increase of property values in this county over the last 10 years, which is very clearly wrong. Um, but that was the number that was given to us by the state for this year. So some property owners challenged that value. They challenged the one from last year, which was 87.5% because I'm not sure what led to these big changes in value. But when you're talking about assessments, those things make a big difference. So there was an oral argument on that yesterday in front of Judge Hertzberg in Allegheny County. And I was just reading about it this morning. There was a consent order that was signed and I don't have all the specifics just because I was trying to read it before we got on here. But basically the county has agreed to look at the sales they provided to be used to calculate the common level ratio. And what that could mean is a pretty significant reduction in what the common level ratio is. Now, it's unclear to me how they would ever put this into practice. Basically, there's been a lot of cases that have been decided in the past couple of years and cases that are scheduled now that um, are based on this. 
calculation. So I'm not sure how you just go from 87.5% to 60% or something like that. I think that that just creates all sorts of wacky numbers, but basically what the county has agreed to do is give um, Pennsylvania different information, more information, which is what the lawsuit was saying. They didn't give them a full picture of what the sales were and give them more information to reevaluate what the common level ratio will be. Isn't what they're saying that the ratio of 80%, it's wrong um, and that everybody should be at 60%, but what you're, what's going to happen is Okay, so all of these people that were raised over the last five, six, seven, eight years, they're going to have to file new appeals next year because the ratio went down. And simply by filing a new appeal, they should be lower to where everybody else is. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see, number one, what that number is. There's no guarantee that it will change, though I imagine it will. It'll be a question of by how much. And another interesting caveat is there was... 12,000 appeals filed by the school districts this year already. And I've already started hearings. So we've already started going through all this information based on the current common level ratio of 81.1%. Now in the article I was reading this morning about the argument that was made yesterday, the BPAR has said that they will not issue any decisions this year until they have clarification on what the common level ratio is and if it's changing. Now that creates a bunch of issues because in some cases, if the common level ratio drops by 20%, a school district appeal could lead to a reduction in someone's property taxes because the difference wasn't that much. So I don't know. I mean, it's going to be, it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out. It's going to be really messy. But one of the good things will be that when I was speaking with Dave Montgomery, who's the solicitor of the BPAR, at, uh, we were both speaking at an event on Monday night. He told me that if there is a significant reduction in the common level ratio, that BPAR will certainly consider and likely will reopen the appeal period for 2022. So that could mean a whole host of things. It means that there could be 50,000 appeals filed this year. It means that all the school district appeals could be withdrawn, though not all of them would be withdrawn because some people are underassessed by more than that. But it would be a huge change to how this normally works. And I don't know how in practice that would work. Um, I think it would just be kind of a little bit of a headache for a while, just because again, they're not prepared to deal with that. Um, they're not prepared right now to deal with 50,000 appeals or 100,000 appeals, which could potentially happen. So we need to see what the number is. We need to see if the change happens. But if it does, what's going to happen from there? This is kind of unknown territory at this point. Oh my goodness, Bill, that is crazy. This city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Do you realize if they open the appeal period back in because the ratio dropped, we need to hire two or three more lawyers. There's going to be 50 to 100,000 appeals. This affects everyone everywhere in this process, right? So every uh, tax appeal that has been filed in 2021 and in 2022, those that have already reached determinations, they apply the common level ratio. Those that haven't reached determinations, they're just kind of putting in a holding pattern until they determine what the common level ratio is supposed to be. There may or may not be for property owners who haven't filed an appeal and don't have anything pending, there may be a significant extension of an opportunity for them to file appeals once the common level ratio is set so that even people who don't have pending cases have an interest in figuring out 
what the changes to the process are because they could file an appeal and save money immediately. I also wonder to what extent it affects people who, you know, had 2017 or 2018 or even 2019 cases, but that resolved more recently. Let's say it went to the BOV where yes, it was filed in 2019, but by the time you got to the BOV, it was covering 2019, 2020, 2021. At BOV, you talked about the common level ratio for those later years as well in determining what the assessed value was going to be. Do those cases have to open back up or are those owners the ones who are going to be stuck paying at this higher rate until the next appeal is filed? It's, there's so much at stake and so much is in flux here. It is so crazy. Let me ask you one more question, Nicole, and then we'll bring this home again. But are they still scheduling the second level board of viewer hearings? Or are they going to put a pause on those two now? Because, you know, they're considering 2021 20, and 2022. Maybe they should just hold off on those or they're going to create more of a mess. Thoughts? I have a couple that are scheduled right now for May. I, you know, again, this is just new breaking news. I mean, this just happened. So I don't know. Um, certainly when I'm talking about cases at this point, um, you know, it's hard to agree to a resolution because if the, the ratio goes down 20%, then we're talking about totally different numbers. So it'll be interesting. I mean, you're right, Bill. Basically what I've been told by people in the know, so to speak, is there's no remedy for people that settled cases based on the, the accurate information at the time, other than go file a new appeal. So it's going to be on property owners to do the work themselves. Um, or hire us, I suppose, to do it for them. But, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that people, you know, and attorneys who handle these types of cases have been looking at numbers that were given by the state that might be wildly different now um, and resolving cases for years. And now we're going to kind of have to start at square one and say, okay, now that this has vastly changed everything, we need to reevaluate all these cases. How many appeals do we need to look at to refile new appeals I mean, again, we need to see what the number is before we can make any decisions on that, but it, it is going to have a big impact on, you know, budgets for school districts. I mean, everyone, property owners, everyone. So it's going to be a, a big decision when we get that, that number. Yeah, that's, um, and we'll definitely have you back, Nicole, once we have some more information on how they're going to handle this. That's right. As a, as a podcast that prides itself on giving you yesterday's news tomorrow, we're in a situation here where we're trying to actually break some news. So um, unfortunately, because this is new and breaking news, we don't have final answers to give you yet. But Nicole, we will definitely have you back when we, when we know something with some more certainty. Yeah. And before your own final thoughts, Nicole, uh, you know, just listening to you today, really break it down and, and see how well you, you know, the information you've living, you're living the information. I would say that I, I look at you in the prime of your career. And I do think of Jim Kelly losing four Super Bowls. Wow. But I, <laughs> but I do. That before. So hold, hold on. <laughs> First so of all, there's a, there's a compliment and then there's the passive aggressiveness in me, but that I'm just saying to be a compliment. The, the fact that we as a society have decided to, to cast aspersions on the bills or Jim Kelly when they made four consecutive Super Bowls is ludicrous to me. Yeah. But I mean, the queen, I, I, I will go with the queen because um, the way of you, you hold yourself professionally and, you know, just your, the respect you get in the community. Nicole, I think that was very helpful. And, you know, we called this bill, I, we said in the beginning, this was going to be the best single episode in a podcast about tax appeals that has ever been created. Do you agree? You object? Uh, I do not object to that as 
such, um, though, to be fair, my, my sample size is pretty limited on this. I'm going to go ahead and say that it's the best one because it has to be the only one. Yeah, you're the best, Nicole. Thank you so much. Thanks again for having me. And that's a wrap for this episode of I Strenuously Object. Hopefully you learned something or had a few laughs and saved some money. Uh, if so, please subscribe, rate, and review us. Tell your friends to check us out. If you have any questions for our Mailing It In segment or other podcast-related feedback, email the podcast directly. That's at iobject at pghfirm.com. Thanks, Bill. If you've been appealed by the school district this year and have a property tax appeal question, contact attorney Nicole Amick. She is as good as she sounds. She's one of the best in the business. And for more information, visit our website at pghfirm.com. Click on tax appeals. And there's a couple of good articles, secrets to winning your tax appeal, top FAQs for tax appeal. And until next time, some parting advice. My advice to you is to start drinking heavily. Okay, Noah, are we adjourned? We are adjourned. We want to hear from you, our listeners. You can email us your questions, comments, and suggestions for future episodes at iobject at pghfirm.com. Or DM us on Instagram and Facebook. Follow us at Flaherty Fardo on Instagram or Flaherty Fardo Rogel and Amick on Facebook.